0: What's up, everyone? My name is Michaela Nemhard, and you're listening to the Sanctus Church Podcast. Our mission here at Sanctus is to glorify God by reaching and enabling people of all ages and nations to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Let's get ready to hear the word. Years ago, I was greatly impacted by a series that I heard called Go Fish. And the pastor, he began his message by saying this, When Jesus first called the disciples, he made them a promise. It was an odd promise. He told them that if they followed him, he would make them fishers of men. And they didn't really understand what that meant. They weren't intrigued by that. They followed him for their own selfish reasons like many of us do. Nevertheless, Jesus was faithful to what he had promised and it is what happened. They became fishers of men because they took the teachings of Jesus. They shared it with other men and women who shared it with other men and women. And eventually here we are today celebrating who God is and what he has done for us through his son, Jesus. It is incredible that that was how the number of believers has grown because for many people today, the idea of talking about our faith and more specifically talking about Jesus is uncomfortable and challenging. And depending on how you were raised, maybe you even think it isn't right to tell someone else about what you believe or to try and to compel or to convince someone to believe what you believe because faith is private, it's personal. You think, I don't wanna offend or I don't wanna intrude on another's right to believe what they want to believe. And yet I assume most of us are so glad, we're just so grateful that someone told us about Jesus And yet they also think, but just don't expect me to tell someone else. You know, you're so thankful that that you were invited to Alpha or that someone gave you that book, that someone took that time to have conversations with you so that you could explore your questions. You could wrestle through the obstacles that you faced and they helped lead you to inviting Jesus to become the Lord of your life. But to do this for someone else, it just doesn't sit right. Maybe you think, that's what a pastor ought to do. Or additionally, here at Sanctus, we talk a lot about gift-based ministry. So there are individuals who are spiritually gifted as evangelists, and they're the ones that find it the easiest to talk about Jesus. So we could just leave the job to them, right? Who was Jesus talking to when he gave his last command before he ascended into heaven? Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. If it wasn't directed to all, Don't you think that Jesus would have clarified, saying specifically, okay, those of you who have the education or the gifting, you're the ones, here, over here, yeah, you're the ones to go and make disciples. No, he was speaking to anyone currently following him and to everyone who will ever follow him. Wait, you say, but doesn't scripture say that God reveals himself through creation? So why do we have to talk about him? Well, for starters, you are a part of creation. If you turn on your television, look at your Facebook feed, there's no denying that there's a lot of brokenness in this world. We're in need of healing and restoration, and people are looking for a way out of the brokenness. But again, you may ask, why do we have to talk about it? Christianity provides the only solution that can actually lift us out of brokenness into wholeness. The obstacle then is Christianity is not intuitive. One pastor worded it like this. This is not something that you can sit out in creation and arrive at or come to conclusions by yourself because Christianity is not simply a theology or a philosophy or a morality or a set of ethics or a set of values. Christianity is something that is grounded and founded in history. Christianity is not a belief system, it's about an event. The only way for someone to know about something that has happened in history is for someone to talk about it. For the early church members in Acts, the reason they had to talk about it was because this event was one that they had seen, one that they had heard. But even today, how can someone become a disciple if they've not heard Jesus' message? How do they hear it if someone does not tell and explain it to them? Now you may agree, all of that does make sense. Followers of Jesus, they have a responsibility of sharing the good news. And yet, do you still shy away from the responsibility? I think the reason that we don't speak more boldly or more intentionally about Jesus to our unsaved family and friends is because of one word, fear. We are afraid. And we may express it differently, I mean, What if I say it wrong? What if I get made fun of? What if I lose that friendship? What if I lose my job? What if? What if? But let's remember, the followers of Jesus, they were a bunch of cowards too initially. One time, this little girl comes up to Peter and asks him, are you one of them? Peter starts cursing up and down. I never knew the guy. He was afraid. The rest of the disciples, they had fled and scattered long before Peter had denied Christ. They certainly had something to be afraid of. Officials had just taken their leader and killed him by hanging him on a cross. They had more to fear than many of us will ever face. All of them were afraid to be associated with him. But something, something happened that changed all of that. This fall, we've been looking at the early church in the book of Acts, It provides many examples for us to follow. And for the past three weeks, we've heard about how the church grew from 150 to 3,000 to 10,000 in a really short period of time. Something happened that emboldened the disciples. Instead of running away, they obeyed Jesus' last command to go and make disciples. Because they saw and heard, they spoke. Let's dive into where Pastor John left off last week. And if you have a Bible with you, take a moment to find Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Before we read, I'm just going to bring us up to speed on what's happened leading up to this verse. Now, the first four books of the New Testament, they tell us about how Jesus died on the cross. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He, the resurrected Jesus, he returned to his disciples. He spent time with his fearful followers reinstating them teaching them reassuring them that even though they can expect trials roadblocks to their mission he was going to send a counselor to be with them and then he ascended into heaven that's what christians believe because the bible says jesus is now at the right hand of his father the individuals that had spent the most time with jesus This is when they start to feel this duty bound to talk about him regularly. And two of them, Peter and John, they go up to the temple to pray. A lame man was begging at the gate and he asks them for some money. And Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He heals the guy. The man had never walked since birth. He jumps up, he's leaping around. He goes into the temple, he's clinging on to Peter. He says, here's the guy that healed me. And Peter, an uneducated fisherman, he had given a speech on the day of Pentecost, so he's getting used to this public speaking thing. He gives a mini sermon about Jesus. And the people in charge of the temple, they aren't happy because they feel like maybe how some of you feel. Hey, if you wanna believe in Jesus, that's fine for you, but just don't talk about it. It reminds me, one day my son, he came home from school, said that he was told that he could talk about Jesus at home with his friends or with his family. See, you can talk about God, that's safe, but just don't talk about Jesus. And you you can talk with those who believe the same thing as you, but don't talk about it in public. I think his teacher, like many people do, Just find it offensive. Well, Peter and John, they offended the temple leaders enough that they were arrested. They spent a night in jail. They were brought before the Sanhedrin. This is a very important institution. It was made up of the high priest, the priest class, and the scholars. They had jurisdiction over every single Jew on the earth. And they tell Peter and John, you have to stop speaking about Jesus. Peter takes the opportunity to preach another sermon. He says... We've got to continue to speak about what we've seen and heard. And then he directly confronts their beliefs. He says this, Acts 4, verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved. Now they knew that God is Savior, but these two men were attributing the same title here to Jesus. The Jews' theology, it had become threatened. But this isn't the only thing that angers them. The rulers and the authorities are angry because Peter declared as well, those who don't listen to Jesus, you will be completely cut off from his people. This is profoundly threatening to their roles as leaders in Israel. And as Pastor John said last week, God's extraordinary move, it threatens the status quo. God threatens what has been long established. Those places where God had moved so long ago it had hardened into tradition and institution. Now, in spite of their anger, threatening Peter and John was all the leaders did at that moment because the healed man and those who had witnessed this healing were present still. So it was too soon for them to do anything more, and Peter and John are just released. Okay, that brings us to our text today Acts 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Everybody needs their own people. That's where this comes from. If you don't have your people, life is too difficult on your own. So come on, you need to work at identifying your people. Your people, that's a community of mutually supportive friends. One, ones who will encourage your discipleship. Then let us know who you're meeting with because we call those connect groups and we care a lot about whether or not you're in one. Acts 4 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So once they shared what had happened, they held a prayer meeting. They didn't rush to go and find some human counsel, but instead they looked for help through prayer. That's the pattern of the early church. And it's critical that we don't miss how important this is. When life throws us a curveball, Sure, we can talk about God, but if we don't actually turn our attention and talk to God, the greatest benefit of coming together has just been neglected. Where two or three believers are gathered together, Jesus promises his presence. So why not invite him to get involved? Their news drives the believers immediately to their knees. You know, growing up, my parents had a sign that hung on our kitchen wall. It said, the family that prays together stays together. There's something to that. You know, if we're unable to pray together because of disunity, we need to struggle, struggle through whatever is causing that disunity. We've got to work it out. And in this situation, unity, that's what enabled the believers to pray. It says they raise their voices together. Now, that would be pretty miraculous if they just shouted in unison the same words at the same time. So my guess is more than likely one person probably prayed, the whole community unified in spirit So that means they were in agreement, maybe nodding their heads, saying, yes, amen. Because when you do these things, it helps you to concentrate better. It helps you to actually participate in the prayer of someone else. Now, they could have prayed something similar to what we usually pray. Thank you so much for this day, Lord, please help me, bless me, protect me. It could have. But watch this. Acts 4, 24. Sovereign Lord, they said. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Sovereign Lord. That's how they begin. They begin by acknowledging him as the absolute authority, tying that to his position as creator of everything. That's what allows him to function as master over his creation. So the implication is that the one who created the world is more powerful than those he created. In the New Testament, The term Sovereign Lord, it's used three times, each for God and for Jesus. Their prayer, it's certainly desperate, but the tone is expectant. The words that follow are biblically informed. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. They're quoting the opening words to the second Psalm. They say, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. David, he wrote these words because the rulers, the people at that time, they were conspiring together against him with Saul. They were against David being their new king. And clearly, David, he has reason to complain because the kings, the people, they're making plans for war. In this verse, he references the Lord's anointed one. Originally, David was writing about himself, but it's also prophetic about what was happening in the time of the apostles. As early as the middle of the first century B.C., anointed one, that was interpreted to mean the deliverer of David's line, the Messiah. And the apostles, they were present when God acclaimed Jesus as Messiah with the words, you are my son, during his baptism. That's the exact line that's used in Psalms 2, verse 7. So they quote this psalm because it was being fulfilled in real time for them. They knew that their present opposition, that was anticipated in Scripture. And the disciples' lives, they were at risk now more than ever. And then they just give this little explanation of what they're facing. So Acts 4, it's 27 we're at. Indeed, Herod, Pontius Pilate, they met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed." So Herod. This is Herod Antipas. His dad, Herod the Great, had tried killing Jesus as a two-year-old by killing all the little boys in the area when Jesus was born. So this Herod was the son, and he's the one who had killed John the Baptist, and he had helped Jesus go to his death. Pilate, that's Caesar's representative. He was also a part of this. Gentiles, that refers to the Romans. And the people of Israel, the people of God, the Jewish nation, God's people and their leaders, they're included too. This list tells us all people, everyone, we're all responsible for the death of God's Son. Verse 28, they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So the way that this is phrased is reminding us again, the Lord is sovereign. He allows events to happen, and yet they're filtered through His hands. And what's also clear about this is that throughout history, the powers of this world have stood against the cause of God and of Christ. Let's face it, the enemy is powerful, but because God is sovereign, sovereign, evil is limited. One commentator, he stated it this way: He says, "Satan is on the loose, but he's on a leash." See, God foresaw the evil plan. He planned to do something good out of it. And actually, not just something good. He did the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of all humanity. The opposition that Jesus faced was now extended to the new believers. They truly were following in his footsteps. Real discipleship has always been and continues to be costly. In places like Pakistan, Syria, Bangladesh, North Korea, Christian persecution, it regularly means Christians are martyred. And according to the International Society for Human Rights, a secular observatory that's based in Frankfurt, Germany, they said that 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are directed at Christians. That makes Christians by far the most persecuted religious body on the planet. And when faced with persecution, the early church in acts they turn to desperate, biblically-informed, expectant prayer. You've certainly heard it here said before, but prayer is a guaranteed place of encounter between the divine and the human. Pay attention to what happens next. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and... Okay, here comes the request. Lord, consider, look at, listen to, take note, and act accordingly. God, please, would you think seriously about the people, the leaders, the forces behind them that are inspiring them, all the threats that they're making. They're appealing now to the justice of God. And then they pray, enable your servants. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The request that they make is not for wisdom, not for protection or for favor with the authorities. Now, all of these would have been really appropriate requests, of course. But instead, the request is for boldness. They asked for boldness because they were afraid. Fear. It's just a natural human emotion to to danger or to the unknown. And they were definitely facing both. They asked for boldness to speak God's message without fearing the consequences. Notice, it's not their own words that they pray to speak boldly. They needed boldness to obey what Christ commanded them, to take his word and to go to the world. I believe that's what it means to be missional. We recently added the word missional to our church's vision statement. Because we see our purpose as being rooted in God's mission, to call people into a reconciled relationship with himself. Some would say, the church has a mission. But a more correct statement would be, the mission has a church. We are God's instruments to advance his mission. Would you say that you're living on mission? Well, whose mission? The second request that they ask was that as as the community that proclaims the word, as they face opposition, God, would you please match it? Match it with visible activity. Match it, Lord, with your sovereign ability to heal. Because healings and deliverances, they open the door to introduce people to Jesus. Just one day prior, Peter and John, they were given this great opportunity to preach the gospel after the lame man was healed. And they knew how much the effectiveness of their preaching was helped by the healings and the other miraculous signs that were worked by the Lord through the name of of Jesus. And so they just simply pray, could more of this continue? The name of Jesus, that's not some magical formula. And it only has power for those who know Jesus, for those who have been with the Lord. So without a connection to the person behind the name, There is no power. The only two requests that are in this prayer, they both have to do with evangelism. Evangelism had just been outlawed. But nevertheless, God shows his approval for their prayer. Acts 4, verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. In the Old Testament, The shaking of a place, that's a sign that God was there in visible form. It happened in Exodus 19, Psalm 104, and in Isaiah 6. It was God's way of indicating that he was present and that he was going to answer their prayer. God shaking the place would have made the whole experience probably more fearful, a little bit more fearsome, but it also led them to courage. One commentary cleverly wrote this, the place being shaken made them more unshaken. Next, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the baptism of the Spirit, which happened in Acts 2. They weren't empty of the Spirit because once He comes into a person, at the moment that a person becomes a believer, the Spirit is there to stay. This is a description of a fresh filling. And these signs, they happen after the prayer. They would stir up the faith The gratitude of the believers gave them great assurance. They certainly could now trust God is present during trials and tribulations. And if you've ever experienced the Spirit's presence in a unique and powerful way, or or maybe even just simply after I've I've read this text to you, you would think, ah, this is tempting. I want to try this. I want to repeat this same experience again. Reality is, though, God does not always show up in this way, thankfully, I'll add. Uh, But when we pray in accordance with his mission, he does. He often affirms us with a sense of peace. And as we continue to study the book of Acts, you're going to see the spirit. He's often quietly nudging, and he leads gently. This is the longest prayer in all of Acts. I believe Luke included it because this prayer It's an example for us. There are several points that we can take from this text, and I'm going to focus on three, three of them that are specific to talking about Jesus. Number one, the early church, they accepted the responsibility to share the good news. They simply just told what they saw and what they had heard because they knew it was true. They knew that Jesus Christ, he is the solution to the brokenness in this world. They knew that their friends, their family, they were damned to eternally being separated from the one who created them, the one who loves them, the one who wants to be in relationship with them, the one who gave of himself to atone for their rebellious sinfulness. They knew their friends, their family, they could be saved as long as they spoke up. In June of 1990, a man named Jesse Sharp, he was an accomplished kayaker. He wanted to be the first person to kayak over the Niagara Falls. His friends, or I'll just call them his friends because that's what the newspaper article called them. His friends were there to film the trip. Sharp, he refused to wear a helmet or a life jacket so that his friends could get the best footage of him kayaking. And Sharp, he expected to survive this daredevil stunt. We know this because he actually had dinner reservations that night in New York City. But Jesse Sharp, he was last seen at the brink of Horseshoe Falls. His kayak was recovered, but his body never was. How could his friends not plead with him to take better safety measures? They must have known what had happened to others who had gone over the falls. Why would they think a kayak was safer than a barrel? If they knew what the possible outcome was, did they not feel a sense of responsibility to boldly talk about it? Instead, they just watched through a lens far enough away. Number two, the early church, they had the basic knowledge to share the good news. Uh, The disciples, they knew scriptures so foundationally. These verses, they're just saturated with with verses from the Old Testament throughout their prayer. They were following the example of their master, Jesus, who was in the, in the Gospels, he refers to the Old Testament at least 90 times. And in a crisis, we often, we don't have time to, to refer to the Scriptures to see well, how could this Scripture just address my specific situation? So the words of the Bible, they really need to be stored in our hearts. That way we can draw on them during times of crisis. Charles Spurgeon, he said in one of his sermons, be walking Bibles. One of the most significant ways of spreading the Gospels these days is through Alpha. It's being used in well over 100 countries. It's a a great tool uh, because it gets away from the idea of Christianity as a religion and it's all about life, its purpose and how to get the most of it. And of course, through knowing the one who gave us life. That's where great purpose comes. I think Elf is fantastic. But sometimes when you invite someone, they just aren't able, maybe they're not willing to invest that kind of time. The early church, it grew by personal conversation. If the opportunity presented itself, do you have the basic knowledge to have a conversation with someone to explain to them what the gospel is? If you're not sure about that, That's okay, let's do some quick training. There are several ways to explain the gospel. Our Port Perry site, they recently held an evangelism training session and they used a technique called the three circles diagram. You can find videos on YouTube explaining three circles in three minutes. Let's just take a look to see how various people have used this specific technique. Has anyone shared you the three circles before? Oh, have you heard of three?
1: three circles before? Has anyone ever
0: shared the three circles with you before? No. Mm-hmm.
1: no. So this is the first circle. So this represents the world that's broken.
0: All of us live in a broken world. You only have to turn on the
1: news and see... Suffering, death... War, sickness... Rape, disease,
0: it's everywhere, right? But you know, God didn't actually create the world to be like this full of brokenness, eh?
1: Here's the second circle. This circle represents God's perfect design. God's perfect design was a world without brokenness. A world full of love.
0: Full of joy and peace and unity.
1: But what we did was we sinned. Sin Mm. could be anything from lying Lying to murder. murder. Wait, so just like normal lying or like hard lying? And what sin did, it
0: separated us from God's perfect design and threw us into brokenness.
1: And so people try all kinds of different things. To get out of brokenness, you might try drugs or alcohol. Or
0: maybe chasing a career or money. Smoking. Even bullying other people at school. or oh, sleeping Sleep around. On. Suicide, exactly, a good example. But it doesn't actually
1: fix the problem of brokenness. It's like a bungee cord. We just get snapped straight back into brokenness. And ultimately, if people die in that state of brokenness, and separate from God, and that means that that's eternal separation from God. Do you know what this place is often called? Yes. What God did was he didn't want to leave us in that place.
0: God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross.
1: Jesus was God. So he had no sin and when he died and rose again, he actually took on all of our sin and cancelled it like he crushed it. He said if we would turn away from our sin and believe in Jesus and make Jesus
0: the Lord of our life, we become restored. restored back into God's original design.
1: And you become a new creation, a new person in Christ. And will restore us back into relationship with him. Oh, okay. So there's only two kinds of people in this world, people that are in brokenness or God's perfect design. Where would you see yourself? Probably right there To yeah, This cool. I'm the sure. Love? Brokenness? Possibly. Like love. The bungee stage.
0: <laughs> yeah, the same.
1: And where would you like to be? So where would you like to be? You'd like to be here? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right there. Give me a look. so good. One of God. So here. So is there anything that's stopping you from turning and, and believing in Jesus?
0: And allow Him to be Lord and King of your life. Stubbornness.
1: Probably not.
0: Probably we, to be honest. Nothing's mm. stopping me. You
1: know the awesome news about
0: Jesus? He is the only way out.
1: If you try to clean yourself up before coming to Jesus, it's like trying to get clean before you take a shower. Oh, I see, yeah, I did that. Is there anything stopping you? Mm-hmm. We shared The Three Circles with 34 people. Four were already believers. 13 chose to remain in brokenness, but some were deeply impacted. And 17 wanted to leave brokenness and receive Christ. There are many powerful ways to share the gospel, and The Three Circles is a great place to start.
0: Even today, there are some of you who are sitting here. You're, you're curiously searching, and that was helpful. You, we, we would call you a seeker. Maybe there's others that are here today. Maybe you've been dragged in front of the screen, dragged here by a friend, and you have lots of objections. That's okay. You're most welcome here. At the end of that short video, the important questions that must be asked, where are you now and where do you want to be? Some of you, when looking at the three circles, you find yourself in the circles, that one circle that's surrounded, that we called that's the brokenness in life. You're desperately trying to find your way out. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Well, if that's you and you're ready to take a next step, Pray this simple prayer. Lord, sorry for the rebelliousness in me. Forgive me because that put you on the cross. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place, for beating death. Please, please come take control of my life. It's a pretty simple prayer. Sorry. Thank you. Please. It's easy to remember. It's easy to share with others. Now, for those of you who already know Jesus, can you admit that asking those questions, where are you now? Where do you want to be? Those questions are confrontational. That's where fear can grip us. And so many Christians just fluff it up at this point. They, They duck out of this culminating moment of encounter. That's why it's helpful to commit the explanation to memory and then go explain it to someone. Take a friend out for coffee, go and explain it again. Tomorrow, on your lunch break, explain it to a coworker. The more you do it, the more comfortable it becomes. Lastly, third point, the early church, they had the motivation to share the good news. It's all because the disciples began with that spirit-filled prayer. Lord, enable your servants, Lord, enable your servants to speak the word with great boldness. So the best place for us to begin is by praying exactly what they prayed. Each of my three older kids, they, they've all played ball on community teams. For a person that's employed by a church, it's important that I need to go places where my friends, uh, that I, where I can go and make friends who are outside of our church walls and I've had some fantastic conversations with parents on the bleachers while cheering on our kids. That's where I met my friend Denise. She opened up quite a bit to me, and and I invited her to Alpha, and she she came a couple times, so not every time. That didn't matter, because one night she texted me. She said, I'm not able to make it, but she wanted me to come over and to pray with her, because she said, I want to be able to forgive others, and she understood that meant she needed to be forgiven by God. We met, we prayed. Short time later, her husband had kidney failure. She called me to come over and to help her to talk about Jesus with him and then also with their daughter. See, her motivation to talk about Jesus was because she loved them. And my motivation, I loved them. And I knew I wasn't going alone. The Holy Spirit was with us. When you love people, you're following in Jesus' footsteps. Rest assured, he's going to go with you. So that means there is nothing to fear. Will you pray with me? Sovereign Lord, we bow before you. And we ask, God, that you would help us to pray like the church in Acts. Pray Like these disciples, Lord, when they faced opposition, help us, Lord God, to pray exactly what they prayed. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, Lord. Heal, perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Lord, we submit to you. We ask it again. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, please visit our website at sanctischurch.com. There, you'll find ways to support our ministry and God's vision for this church. Last but not least, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to hit that follow button to be notified when another episode releases. All right. I pray you're blessed by the word and we'll see you next week.